ladies and gentlemen, we're here at an anti-Shinra protest. These these crowds of disgruntled youth have clearly been bought and paid for by Wu-Tai propagandists. Oh, look, here comes a group of them now. Please, young sirs, after the despicable and cowardly bombing of Mako Reactor Number 1, a clear act of terrorism, will you or will you not condemn Avalanche? Never. <laughs> This is a a very nuanced issue. Um, I think we need to examine the plot points going back quite a few years to at least have a holistic view what this means. Are you suggesting a a two-state solution? (laughs) Midgar and Butai coexisting at last? (laughs) Go back to the pre-war borders? I don't think that can can ever happen. Folks, these campaign comrades, we are talking about Final Fantasy VII, the remake, in anticipation of Final Fantasy Rebirth, coming at you later this month. Actually coming out on Leap Day, of all things. Hell yeah. Matt it's a sweet the, date. It's a sweet release it, date. It is. And, and Matt had the greatest idea about it. It's like that they, they did it purposefully <laughs> so that so that like they can they have at least a four-year period before anybody starts talking about anniversary updates or anything <laughs> like that uh so just you know be like no you you can't you can't talk to us until another leap year leave us alone genius i mean it makes perfect sense to me there there are times i wish i was born on a leap day so that uh you know only one birthday every four years i mean <laughs> it would that would be such an existential quandary right it's like you would be you know trick yourself into thinking oh yeah i only have you know a birthday every four years but then every four years like whenever you have your birthday it's just like oh my god the passage of time it's caught up with me (laughs) or you just like get to fuck with people on the non-leap year years and just like change which day you're celebrating oh my birthday is march 1st this year nope february 28th and and then you can just really have some mind games going some fun with it but that that idea has a whole lot of weight behind it. I think just you know going with the 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 production history of this remake, you know, Final Fantasy fans, and we'll talk about their actual reactions to this game and other games as well. That was part of what I wanted to talk about. But you know, they always they, hated initially. They're sickos. They're sickos. <laughs> like and they they don't deserve the good things that they get. Uh, I mean, most gamers don't, you know, they're kind of they're kind of like the opposite of the Marvel fanboy, like just that. Whereas where the Marvel fanboy everything new and then it becomes amazing in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Marvel fans love everything new and then hate it with retrospect. Yeah. Could never be me. Could never be me. I'm the complete opposite. I've enjoyed every Final Fantasy as soon as it comes out. And, you know, of all the ones that I've played. And yeah, Marvel schlock remains Marvel schlock. Uh, (laughs) But fucking uh, talk and people, you know, people have the so-called fans have been annoying Square Enix for a remake before it was Square Enix when it was still Square. Uh, They, they, uh, you know, the original Final Fantasy VII, you know, developed (laughs) by Square prior to the merger, was released for the original PlayStation in 1997. Talk and speculation for a remake started as early as you know the 2000s, the early 2000s. When rumors started to swirl about Square making a re, uh, making a remake for the PS2, so that it could exist alongside Final Fantasy VIII and IX, and you know, it made a certain amount of sense then because the PS2 is like and kind of still remains one of the best selling consoles ever. 
So it was, and, it is, and know, a huge, and a huge, you know, change in fidelity and like right. graphical ability. Right. I mean, us, the, us the now, entire yeah. first generation of 3D, uh, that entire console generation, like it had a lot of work it had to do in transitioning from a 2D to 3D environment. So there was a lot of experimenting and failing at it. But I mean, that's what happens when you got to make a, a huge transition from this is just a, a top down grid based look at what you're seeing, you know, sprites, easy to program. Versus a 3D environment that you have to fully map out and deal with, you know, a Z axis. Yeah. Playing the original game recently, you know, earlier this year, um, I'm like so torn on what I how I felt about those like pre-rendered backgrounds from the original. In some ways, it makes one me feel the pre- pre-rendered yeah, it makes me feel very nostalgic, and like I find some of those backgrounds to be pretty beautiful and like you know would make like great posters and like really great artwork but but in terms of actually playing it <laughs> oh my god it was so frustrating what's interactable like, you say what my modern brain on? my modern brain like you know just can't figure out like the pathing you know just like w- where i'm actually supposed to be going uh what's you know because you know the the sense of depth is so off and you know you can't tell what's one layer what's another and yeah, what can be interacted with and what can't be, be other other than like you know the materia that you pick up in the world. That one's clear. That that's always clear. But uh, yeah, I was always so torn about it. But uh, yeah, fans have been just trying to get this redone since for basically since it came out. I've always been <laughs> like, yeah, because it's it's been a you know a smash hit. It made it made uh, Final Fantasy you know officially you know as if a I remember correctly, franchise. Was- it was a three disker on the PS1. Yes. Yes. Wow. The final wow. disc was basically just the last dungeon. I did read yeah. read into that. Um so th- nothing happened from those rumors of of remaking it for the PS2. There was a resurgence in demand after and this one Square kind of brought on themselves, right? They did a <laughs> they did a, a tech demo for the PS3 at 2005's E3, where they showed a remade version of the opening from Final yeah. Fantasy VII, uh, <laughs> using you know, to, to show like their new what they called like the Crystal Tools engine. So it's like they asked for that one. Yeah, totally. You know? <laughs> Can't get mad at the fans for expecting something there. I mean, so why would I can, you I do that? From their perspective, <laughs> because it's like, I know exactly it's good marketing. They were like, people love this. This will be a great little teaser for them. It'll be great. They'll never read too deep into it. You know, it's just a, <laughs> it's just a little, a little yeah. tease to show them what we got cooking that we can work with. And fans are like, oh my God, this means Final Fantasy VII Remake. And it's yeah, here. It, it's coming. It gives, it's you know, it, it gives them a touchstone of like, oh my God, I remember what this did look like. And now look how, how good it is. You know, yeah. to have that frame of reference makes a certain amount of mechanical Fair sense. Enough. And it can be like, oh wow, this new engine, look what it's capable of. Um, but then, yeah, it was just like, for this game that everybody is such a sicko for already, you know, it's just you know begging begging for harassment there <laughs> then you get two years later it's the 10th year anniversary 
uh, Square continues to deny that a remake was in development, citing mainly how long it would take to create a remake on modern hardware. An uh, argument that's that they... actually my favorite part of this is that throughout its history, they're like, dude, it's going to take us like 20 years to do this. They're still and making then... that argument. They're still making <laughs> yeah, that and, argument. And, and, that and then right it's around been about 20 six. years... And then right around 20 years, yeah. the game came out. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's the argument they keep making for why they don't have plans to remake Final Fantasy VI. I keep yeah. seeing, I've seen a bunch of articles of that within like the last week. They're like, no, it'll take 20 years. It'll take 20 more years to redo it. And that one makes, not that there's really much beyond, you know, story that they could take from seven. It's not like they're just uprising shit you know this yeah. this remake I mean, is a the full jump from seven from the to ground, the 3D from the ground up. is a little smaller than the jump from six a 2d pixel game to a full... even store even story pacing and stuff would have yeah. to be completely rethought i mean granted they did that again here but like the the that core story still exists and is still you know more easily translatable to a modern a modern medium regardless of any of the technical the technical shit uh but development on the remake the eventual remake that we all got uh was not confirmed until 2015 that that e3 2015 trailer man r.i.p to e3 pour it <laughs> out but and yeah so this this that, came that's out that's where hope Hope went to die. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, so this came out for the PS4, led by the internal production team of Business Division One. I love the Square Enix uh, internal yeah, development so names. Weird. Business Division, <laughs> Creative Unit. What is it? Creative Unit One, uh, one and Two. There's an Creative Writing Unit. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's there. I, I love them. Is, is no, it, a might, it might be Creative Team. Yeah, is is that a translation thing that that doesn't quite jive, or is it truly just is it that in Japanese as well? You see, the the actual Japanese is much worse. It's uh, Creative Slave Unit One. <laughs> Can't. Uh, so this came out in twenty twenty one, right? That's actually one bit of information. No, twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Okay. It was- it was the end of March 2020 because it happened right when I got furloughed and it was my uh my like safety blanket uh, pacifier for a month. Yeah, I mean and everybody was everybody basically was uh was you, doing you were sorted like into right three in the houses of, back of then. Yeah. Animal Crossing, um <laughs> Final Fantasy or you became a real uh real deep dark web diver. <laughs> was one thing that was very cool and i was like looking into the the production of this and this uh this remake saw a return of a majority of like the core key developers and they were all kind of you know they all still worked together um on you know different square enix projects at the time but they were they all kind of like came together basically and were like you know, we're getting up there in age and they're like, this is something that we've wanted to do. The fans obviously want. And it's like, we're of a certain age that if we don't do it now, we'll pace, we'll probably be dead. If, uh, if we wait any longer, they walk in and he's like, you son of a bitch. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. So assembling a team, one last job. The, so it saw the return of several key developers from the original, uh, character designer and original story writer, Tetsuya Nomura, 
was Tass's director. Uh, yeah, he was involved with this project from the start, but this is a funny bit. He only discovered that he was the director after seeing himself credited in an internal company presentation video. Because <laughs> nice. he, ass- he assumed that it would go back to uh, Yoshinori Kitase, the original director and writer, but who who took on a producer role for the remake. He just assumed that Kitase would would take would you know reprise the role as director. Uh, we got writer and event planner Kasushige Nojima as story and scenario writer, event planner Motumo Toriyama as co-director, and not taking on a full role, but composer Nobuo Uematsu uh, returned to write the main theme for the remake. So you know, it was truly like getting the band back together type of yeah type of thing. So that was cool. To one see. one more heist. Uh- we're, we're going to make a billion dollars. I think that's why this game is still so well done from like a tonal perspective, just mm-hmm. with how much they've added and just having it all still. Cause you still have the original vision putting it right. together. And well, and, Cause a lot, a lot of the things that you see is they're like, this is shit we wish we were able to right. do. Yeah. Beforehand. They had it. They probably had it like, yeah. as you know, this is happening. We're just not showing it like stuff like just kind of notes. I'm sure that's ha- part ha- of it. I have this somewhere and it's like, it's about one of the themes where they, you know, one of the main themes of the game being, you know, economic inequality, they were, you know, they were able to strengthen this theme in the remake by being able to show stuff in the upper plate which they said was basically all off limits and inaccessible in the original but it, you know allows the the player now to see the contrast between the kind of middle class more modern yeah like a suburban amenity, a suburban life of the upper plate contrasted with the the squalor of the lower slums which was all we had really ever seen and we were just you know told about the play the only thing you really have in the upper plate is is you know shinra headquarters that's basically all you you really have ever have access to in the original game so it was it was it's things like that where it it allowed them to yeah these are these are ideas that they had that have been kind of core to the original story but they're now able to flesh out and show in more detail both from technical capabilities as well as what they decided to do with expanding it into multiple releases because they they yeah, saw I mean, they these... expanded roughly i mean depends on the pace you play and your knowledge probably four to six hours is what i would call a safe i think they said somewhere around like they call it or it's around seven to eight hours for me yeah. playing on three times speed i left midgar within like four hours yeah so let's just say yeah that they expanded eight hours into 30 to 40 hours of gameplay without it feeling too immediately bloated or like a uh, packed on, you know? Yeah. I think they made the right choice. They, you know, saw that, that they had, you know, two potential paths forward, you know, expand upon the original with multiple releases or try to include the entire scope of the original game in a single release. Uh, they tried to investigate, you know, what were these essential parts of the original that, you know, fans absolutely had to see. Uh, but they, you know, quickly decided that there were so many parts that were essential that, you know, there would just be fan riots if they cut any of this content. It would be a fucking 300 gigabyte game. <laughs> yeah. And particularly, it would have melted the PS4. Yeah. I mean, no, the, it, the remake as is, uh, 
definitely had my PS4 Slim. Uh, yeah, that that's a P- that's a PS4 Pro game. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when I played it on my PS5 to play um, the DLC, I was like, oh, wow, this game runs so much better on a device that isn't actively in thermal throttle death. So they decided to go the route of, you know, expanding on things to provide the, the highest level of depth possible. And I know Matt and I are now the only ones who have played the original. So I'll, I'll give it to you first, Matt. How were they, you know, successful in this expansion? Um, you know, what what were your opinions on this expanded content? Not mechanics, you know, kind of purely story. There's there's a lot of, I mean, overarching big character interactions that you get to spend more time with and get to develop more um, relationship with that you don't necessarily get when you're playing the original. A, there's voice acting and stuff, and that's a whole different. Uh, sure like layer to it like for for a lot of people that just makes it more immersive immediately rather than reading it you know and you know making the voices in your head you know mm-hmm. um, yeah doing it doing it in internal racism as i try to read <laughs> as i try to read barrett's voice just don't do it don't do it <laughs> um telling the little voice inside my head yeah yeah don't do but it's it. actually it's actually the little interactions it's not the it's not your interactions with your party. It's the interactions as you're running by like groups of people. You can hear them uh, talking to each other and uh, like the little bits of interaction you get, uh, say returning from the Mako reactor, you know, hearing everyone's reaction to, you know, what has happened there, you know, running over to the, the job board or whatever, you know, and getting that, that small interaction with that guy there. Uh, they flesh a lot of that out. And then, like you said, with, you know, you get the upper plate, which gets to, you know, add more depth to your understanding of the inequalities going on. So, I mean, overall, I'd say they did a very good job expanding on the themes of what was there and embracing more without making it feel like, oh, yeah, they took five hours of game, turned it into 40 uh, there's a shitload of mini games that you have to play everywhere you go. Yo, there are a shit ton of mini games in the original. So you know, like, yeah. get the fuck out of here with that <laughs> argument. We're gonna get to that section in Rebirth. There's an entire area. It's a basically a casino, and it's just all mini games. That's what like, it is. That's its naturally. point. I like Andrew's assessment that you know this may have been a lot of content that they had notes on that was going on in the background when they were fleshing out their narrative you know, had more backstory for certain characters that, you know, uh, have a, a bigger role in the remake. So, like, it, it does feel Jesse more being one organic. Of them. Yeah, Jesse, my, my girl. It yeah, feels more the organic in that way, The whole Avalanche crew, you know, don't really have any personality and really any real major influence on the story in the original where they have this, you know well done expanded role where you, you know they've got motivations and and goals that yes they they still largely serve the purpose of uh propelling cloud's journey mm-hmm. um i must protect wedge at all costs yeah and you know we're 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 we can't really tiptoe around some certain uh you know story spoilers because you know i know andrew and mike were not able to 
fully complete the game in time. We could spoil. Um, so Andrew, you were texting us beforehand. You were you were running a little bit late because you you hit a pivotal point. Uh, just want what what uh, how far have you guys gotten? Yeah, so I'm pretty close to finishing chapter twelve. So I'm past like the three quarter mark, I would say. Yeah, you made you made you made significant progress since your last your last yeah. check in. Listen, I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard, but like pretty heroic effort yesterday. I I probably played about I would say I think I put in over ten hours yesterday, which for nice. me is like nice. that is that is a so marathon I, I equivalent of as more than I do. It's more than I do. It's more than I do. Yeah. I, I need to ask you something as a friend. Were you doing it because I need to speed run the game for the podcast, or were you doing it because you need to know? No, I I was enjoying it. It was it was okay. you know it was all- it was I played way longer than I would have if it were not for recording. But I wasn't playing at like a jumping anything. Like I wasn't skipping side quests. I wasn't skipping cutscenes. Yeah, I was just playing the game. So where so- where. So I'll say, yeah, Mike, you first. And then I want to know the, the specific story point that you got to. Yeah. Um. So I, my, on my playthrough got to where we left off in stream, like my actual playthrough. I didn't get to play more after that, but I watched like two hours of Andrews yesterday morning where yeah. he caught up to me. And then I, we got a little bit past, um, like Aerith finally unlocked her powers. What was it like, chapter nine or something? Eight, nine. Yeah, I think uh, that was that the train graveyard. Yeah, Mike was. I think I had just started the train graveyard when Mike left. Brain yeah. graveyard is like just borderline on the levels of I'm okay doing like playing that by myself at night. I, no, actually, level. actually, no, that's wrong. Mike left right after I got to uh, Walmart. Yes. Yeah. Ah. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that's you're that's into, one. You're, you're into the Don's territory now. Yeah. Exact. That was exactly one. Um, and then yeah. So I'm currently ascending the pillar as the Shinra animals try to destroy it and kill yep. a whole bunch of people and yep. uh, literally just saved after watching. Sorry, Mike. Uh jesse succumb to her injuries and, and oh, die so, so i also did watch just cutscenes yesterday on the train ride home and i i got into that part of mm. jesse they do so it was they, they they now both know so like folks at yeah, home yeah. obviously aren't privy to our group chats but like <laughs> for like the month or so leading up to it mike has just been simping so hard for jesse <laughs> and you know i understand i agree we, with him we love jesse that, that that is my my we also love, preference but. we love jesse uh you know we are jesse supporters in this house but like so but yeah, after a while us. i just i just sent him the memes you know it's like does he know does he know <laughs> and he, he did not but now now you both know um yeah yeah exactly. and so that why i wanted to ask you guys that is because that's you know yes getting back to the discussion of the expansion of that group of characters the avalanche crew they still largely serve clouds character development in that sense but they're the Mm. first part and not the only the only bit but they're the first part about where you see this transition in cloud where he's not just the kind of aloof mercenary he's he's never truly just been that because he has this internal confusion with the brain pain and all this stuff going on he's got answers the the brain pain is what makes him autistic coded yeah but it's like 
externally to everybody else you know he's this detached mercenary he's only in it for the money but when he's everyone sees him detached and just in it for the money but in his mind he's just staring off and looking at how that window is uneven to the other windows (laughs) on the building uh but like when when you see uh jesse when he like he sees jesse and biggs die after the 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 plate comes down you know his eyes are truly opened to like you know the evil of shinra and the threat that's posed and it doesn't just stop it doesn't stop there it's not just because of these friends it's it's these scenes afterwards and this is kind of goes to a point that matt was talking about like the expansion of the of the general world and seeing even these unnamed npcs get these these uh get this kind of treatment um you know seeing the impact on for them you know like that there are real people at stake here for them now and it serves as this kind of inflection point for cloud where you know he becomes a true believer he's in it for the cause now which is you know a significant part of the story and i think it's uh that's not something that's, i think that's part of that clear is in the original interactions with Aerith. i think right. Aerith yeah. helped a lot in humanizing cloud and like waking him up to you know being more than just a hired sword absolutely yeah. and that you and that's true in the original as well but like it's you see you see the change in him more clearly in the remake than you yes. do in the original and, and that's and that's insert, but, but that's every time purely every time by what they piano um key happens yeah. you know you're about to get some like you're about to get punched in the gut yeah yeah i i will um add there there's two things that i think are funny that i did just want to point out and one was that in that scene you know biggs biggs has a somewhat emotional death and i think i will say biggs and wedge i think are as as far as i've played the weakest in having more point than to just advance cloud's story like i think the rest of the characters how can you say more flushed out those cats and wanted to keep them alive yeah yeah no biggs is definitely the weakest biggs is the weakest for sure sure. like you don't really don't get much but um i did find it funny that tifa runs up to cloud and doesn't even mention seeing biggs's corpse which she you know would have they've been friends for a long time theoretically seen (laughs) so i did kind of find that funny um but yes tifa's been through some trauma herself too maybe dead bodies don't even register yeah (laughs) Yeah, but she's just gotta she's gotta block that shit out blinders yeah which fair enough um but they do a good job of of humanizing cloud in in starting with the earth interaction i i agree with yeah they say like in terms of some character changes they make for cloud they say that you know rather than the quote cool and collected cloud as seen in the original game, the remake depicts his apathetic attitude as a facade to mask his insecurities. And that's something that is definitely present in the first game, but, you know, doesn't really truly yeah. emerge until much the, later. They they bring that out a lot. Uh, that's, you, you get that from Crisis Core a little bit with the little bits uh, of cloud towards the end. And it's, and it's those, you know, that's a more modern telling of those are the bits that I'm alluding to from the original game, Matt. I don't know if you remember the the bit at the, it's like really towards the end when Cloud kind of goes catatonic and and Tifa's got to go into his brain space. Yeah. And they start like fully uncovering the truth and there are these multiple parts of Cloud that he's kind of got to come to terms with. 
um that's when you you, Spo- you spoiler parts of cloud or zach yeah you you don't really see all those things until much later in the original game so that's something that again i think overall all the characters their characterization is much more developed and nuanced in the remake you know so that's you know i think successful there wait uh, quick question is zach Aris first boyfriend that she references correct yes okay he's the true the original wielder class. of the buster sword yeah that incorrect the se- the second oh, original, shut the up. second <laughs> original angel no his, see his name is is one letter away from angel that's how you know he's the good guy and his uh-huh. wings are white <laughs> uh yeah so yeah but yeah he inherited the buster sword in that lineage um yeah, so the uh Angel you... didn't even fucking use the sword. He did a couple times, I think, in cutscenes. Yeah, like three times. He was like, Yeah, the sword doesn't get tarnished by it's a sim- actual it, using it. It's it's a symbol of his soldier honor. Uh so Matt, again, being as the only one, you know, having played both as well. What's your take on like the the specters, the the symbols of fate? I don't necessarily know if I have a take would be how I would describe them. I find how they're used in the remake interesting as a means of differentiating what's happening and, you know, breaking from fate, as one would say. Yeah. Is it a spoiler for them to really kind of explain what those are? Does that, is that really a big deal, you think? I don't mind spoilers. Let's hear it. I mean, yeah, they they basically they show up when they show up when things are diverging, when uh when things are not going the way they did in the in the original. It's when uh or when characters are trying to fight fate when they are and 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 are sometimes successful, but they it's like when there are these infl- yes inflection points. I kind of keep using that term, but it's when these points in the story where yeah things could diverge. Uh, dramatically they they pop in to try to keep things on track that's cool there's there's going to be tension there throughout and we'll wait to yeah till till we get to either discussion or the ending to see how that plays out and it it, it doesn't really kind of come to any type of culmination until the end of the game um where i think you fight a big one and it's like literally named something of fate or whatever i forget you, you fight three and then they form a voltron and mm-hmm. then so uh, ben i i do have a question in your research did you see what what was like the original response to the announcement that they were extending this into multiple games because i, I don't know how i, I feel as a you. fan and say matt I can matt, tell you Matt knows more than I do probably in that in that regard but I would say probably the 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 best you could probably say would be skeptical. Okay. Yeah. So the the original skepticism came from the fact that fans of Square Enix know how they work and know that when they were like oh we're breaking this into chunks the immediate thought everyone had was 5 and that you weren't going to see a full completion of this story for 20 plus years. As each one, yeah, had like a four to five year development cycle. Yeah. But I mean, um, I don't know. Why the, do you the think, skepticism why do you think they, why rapidly? Do you think they, 
Why do you think they 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 kind of focused on five? Whereas it makes sense. And even though the brakes aren't going to probably be at the same spot, or I know that they're not actually, um, because where where rebirth is going to end is where the actual first disc of the original game. But it's like, yeah, it makes a certain amount of sense. There were three yeah. discs in the in the original. Let's split it into three games, you know. Again, it comes it's from the skepticism from the, the people who've known how they work. And the, the Kingdom Hearts fans who've watched um, th- a, a story of three games get uh, broken into segments of 1.2, 1.5, 1.8, 1. 1.7, final remix. Uh, okay. But the the skepticism shifted when it was told it was just three and that it was just a trilogy uh, because all of a sudden, you know, the, the idea of, you know, having potentially the full story in 10 years became possible again, you know, became more um, tangible. Mm-hmm. And then the skepticism shifted even further away when Rebirth was announced uh, to be, you know, what was, I think the first announcement was two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So only two years after the first one had come out, we got a, a teaser trailer. And now, you know, uh, we're slightly under four-year release to get the second. So you're potentially looking at the final installment of this this trilogy being either a console generation gap bridger, like a PS5, PS6, or a PS6 launch title type type window. Yeah. And Uh, I say PS6 because these games aren't on Xbox. Uh yeah, never never got them. Um, I mean they are on PC now. Yeah, they 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 were on Epic for a long time before they got to regular. Well, and that's because actually I read that in the in the my little bit of research is it's because it's done in Unreal. It's done in Unreal Four. They had like a partnership with Epic and worked for a for a good part of its early production. They worked kind of hand in hand with uh, Epic Japan um eventually turned more internal after several years but like yeah they had a lot of kind of partnerships to get the rather than building a new engine from the ground up they kind of mishmashed a bunch of them they had like uh, the base was unreal engine 4 they had like a couple different like lighting engines some ai stuff for uh speech for uh ai is probably incorrect they they called it an algorithm to yeah machine learning to match uh, uh, mouth, mouth movement movements to... for edit for all languages, which is pretty cool. Yeah, because even even with this one being you know so recent, Final Fantasy sixteen was the first Final Fantasy game to be to have its animation tied to the English the, yes. the English voice acting versus it being a dub um, based. The uh, I mean, there's like layers to why for that one in particular. It was like I mean, it's because it's so western. They wanted it to be Game coded. of Thrones. Yeah, it's western so coded. Western it's, the, yeah, it's, it's the Game of Thrones fication of it all. Um. So let's. I want to keep things moving, and this is stuff that I know the that all four of us can talk to now. Um, they talked about. I mean, there's bits going back about you know between the original and the remake but then you guys can 
who can also just talk about your experience with the mechanics of the game itself. But the from the developers, the overarching goal of the production was to make the game feel both new and nostalgic. So with that in mind, for the combat system and the you know, kind of the RPG mechanics, they sought to retain all of those gameplay features that were popular from the original, say like the active time battles, the limit breaks, the uh, materia, like basically how materia works is a little bit different there. Uh, but then merging it with the action-based combat system. So yeah, what was everybody's thoughts on the combat, the gameplay, and then for Matt, uh, and I can speak to as well, how how it stands up to the original. I'm going to jump out first, just because this was my first Final Fantasy game. Um, so It was mine as well. It was actually mine as well. Well, but I mean, you've played more since. So th- this is my first and only. No, so, so, you, but it was still a no, unique he's experience. Just, he's just making the yeah, point yeah, yeah. that this is this for was a lot my of first. people. This is their first uh, intro to Final Fantasy. Got it. And so, um, I enjoyed that. You know, you had the command menu, but I, you know, we were discussing on stream. I had hot. You did the shortcuts. You did the shortcuts yeah. to keep it which, fully kind of action. Which I enjoyed that you have that option because, like, there were some times where I wanted to pause take the time and like think of it but other times where i could i knew i could just uh you know uh button mash my hotkeys and and mm-hmm. get what i need to do mm-hmm. done um but yeah so i i enjoyed it it was a much more i think thoughtful combat system even though it's still kind of a hack and slash uh than you know your typical you know then your fucking assassin's creed or you know other uh rpgs um so i i enjoyed it and i honestly will be playing i will be finishing it when i get my ps5 and i'll be playing more final fantasy games for sure i've become a based final fantasy square head pill yes (laughs) this was the start of me getting square pilled yeah i'm square pilled this was absolutely part of that journey for me so I'm not fully uh, square-pilled, but this is my second Final Fantasy full experience, I'd say, after 16. And <clears throat> I think this combat system has a lot of really good... It, it really combines that kind of turn-based feel with a hack-and-slash style in a really great way that I think is not only entertaining but challenges you more than just basic hack and slash type of combat systems Mm do i will say i have two gripes and i'm interested if anyone agrees one is the hitboxes i they are i find them a little frustrating for you or enemies primarily cloud dodging i feel like i dodge so many more attacks than i actually dodge there, there are no iframes in the dodge it's it's not even iframes. It's like I wasn't, I was next to where they were swinging and dodge, but still get damage, I feel like. So that frustrates me slightly. The other is the prompt buttons. 
the the triangle prompt buttons yeah, i I, I, I frequently takes me like 15 seconds to actually line up and that just becomes a slight annoyance but besides those two things could you wait could you I, i'm not like remembering are they like quick time so, events what, what no like opening doors turning on levers often like the npcs uh, will be in right, the right, way right, right, and right, it, like right, right, it just it it's like just a minor on. frustration doesn't you know take away from this yeah, being the, a good game the, but it a little, does frustrate i me. definitely would agree with that point that there's a tiny little bit of clunkiness in terms of yeah. the, the interactions and you know the when you you know you gotta you gotta make sure you're lined up the right way to do the jump interaction rather than there being a jump button or something like that uh so yeah i i totally agree it it, it didn't bother me that uh enough for me to really file that away but as you as you bring it back up i'm like yeah i, I remember that being a little bit wonky but uh it, it, yeah I, I didn't find it to be uh uh that that even like you know over successive amount of time you know to be like oh fuck you know another fucking doorway that won't open or something like that you know yeah it little, it's it it's was minor. minor enough it was minor enough yeah. that didn't bother me i don't really i didn't really have the issue weird. with with the hitboxes because yeah, you're you're gonna take a lot of damage, but it's because you've got quite a robust uh, uh, capability of healing, and yeah. it just it became more it was just became more of the tactical element of it. Just yeah, it's like realizing yeah, you're gonna take a decent amount of damage, but your health is pretty is pretty forgiving, and your ability to just you know kind of pop potions and you know have enough people with cure and. Once you have, you know, you're able to either get the material. I think it's an its own materia. Speaking you... of restoratives, like you're not playing on hard mode, casual. Because <laughs> yeah, do you not? Would you? What do you not get? Something? Do you not get something in, in, in hard mode? In hard mode, you can't use items, and you can't sit at benches to restore. Oh, yeah, that's brutal. That last bit's brutal. Um, yeah. No, I that's that's kind of what I've come to accept is the this is more a battle of attrition type game than a you know yeah, avoid getting damage like it's more yeah. a, managing your resources than anything else which which ties back to an original you, more you can avoid a lot of damage but there's a lot of stuff you kind of um, can't yeah yeah it's like like blocking is really only good for gunfire and even then you're still gonna get uh, chip damage from that yep. Yeah, so that that's kind of yeah. I would agree that that's it's uh, it's yeah, kind of changing your expectations for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this combat system is so much better than the original. You know, it's so much more <laughs> fun, and it's even more tactical in my in my opinion. Um, because I found I mean, you can play this game in a pretty much fully turn based. Yeah, mode, what do they call it? The, there's like a classic classic mode or. Yeah, I never I never experimented with that. I don't exactly even remember how that works. But like uh even like the there's the tactical nature of the basic hack and slash stuff like using their well, let's call it like their core ability, what's key to the triangle thing is 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 always cool like with cloud, you know, knowing when to go into punisher mode and dodge away and then back to punisher to do a combo um and then yeah the i never did the hot keys as you were saying mike like i became fast enough on the turn things that it was like almost the same amount of time spent yep. um 
but it gives you that little bit of wiggle room and again your your ability to be tactical in what you're choosing i definitely choosing. had both i definitely had like cure on a on a hot key so that i didn't yeah. have to fumble around to use cure i primarily find myself using the hot keys on like the smaller enemies that you're just taking on as you traverse a level and then don't mm -hmm. use them nearly as much in the boss fights Boss fights are definitely aided by the ability to go into the command menu and yeah. and chill shit out for a second. And you just like you get into this this flow state that is way better. I'm you know compare comparing it to Final Fantasy 16 because that's kind of the most recent point of comparison I have. Um, where we were talking about this, I think on stream, mm -hmm. uh, folks, go check us out on twitch.tv slash campaign comrades. Um, or the flow state of Final Fantasy 16 just became repetitive and and easy. You just you had this pattern of it attacks you would do. Um, whereas this, it's like you're getting in, it's it's it, you are you know you're seeing the matrix code, but like you're still it's like you're I'm switching to this character right now to do this. I'm I'm you know doing this character ability to tie into this one and combo with this one, and man. I think it's going to be even better in rebirth with the the synergy abilities that we've seen with yeah. the the different party members uh you know getting a point of view you're fighting hellhouse and you went in with no elemental materia <laughs> dude hellhouse is probably one of the tougher fights it's a, fun it's a challenge one. it's a fun it's one, a long one. one uh but yeah like i i found this this combat system so much more rewarding than the original because the original with maybe a slight exception in some boss fights, it was largely this that same pattern. You know, you're getting you're just getting into patterns again. It would be like attack, 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 uh, you know, yeah. heal. Like, you know, you have or you have two people attack and whoever's healing casts cure and hopefully does cure all on everybody or regen, or you know, you you put up a you put up a barrier, put up a, a regen and everybody attacks till those go away. And I'd and say even just, even became, watching you in the combat of of the original it, it looked like you were just essentially like doing patterns just over and over and it just be, it kind of became boring again and it's just basically so long as you're an appropriate level um you're just yeah you can just kind of fall into that pattern and you know when a limit break pops up you do the limit break and you know it's very rarely does it change and particularly when it's just your regular kind of mobs it's purely is just attack, 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 cure there, attack, 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 cure, uh, and no real strategy involved. Like I was like reading into it, people are like, oh yeah, like I spent like hours grinding out materia levels and limit break levels and all this. So I'm like, you don't need to. There is <laughs> literally no need to do that uh, in the original. So I, whereas like I loved the intentionality of of this combat and it was a beautiful merging of action and turn-based so i'm definitely in a remake better yeah uh, i definitely checked that box for myself um next thing i had here was like we we kind of talked a little bit on a, on a bunch of the story changes uh, you know, the expanded roles of things like the Avalanche crew, those specters. Um, one thing we didn't talk about is the 
probably one of the biggest changes is the this kind of overall looming presence of Sephiroth through this early stage of the game. Um, and that eventually culminates at the end fight uh, with the escape from Midgar, which, you know, he basically doesn't make an appearance at that stage of the game in in the original, right? He, like, I don't even know that we get cut, uh, a flashback, a, a brain pain flashback at that point in the game. But, like, I was reading this as well. The producers were like, you know, this game is so iconic. Sephiroth is such an iconic villain at that point. They couldn't they not basically include just him. To use him. It's yeah. like they couldn't. They couldn't not. It would be people would just be like, where the fuck is our our beautiful boy Sephiroth? Yeah, that would be that would be riots if if the whole first game of the remake they released didn't have Seth or Sephiroth. What are your What are your guys' views on him as a villain? I say he's got interesting in he's got interesting motivations that you know remain kind of mysterious throughout yeah first yeah game. at this point i just so feel like i know too little yeah. about his motivation and and i don't know the connection i've never actually like i've not spoiled this plot line for myself actually oh so he um, he really doesn't know so yeah i have you I know i have I, ideas uh, you know part of me thinks maybe it's like clouds conceptualization of what he did as a soldier i don't know but um yeah i don't know enough to really speak i i find him to be compelling i want to know and i'm interested in what their relationship really is and what that boils down to for this larger story but i will admit having played now the original the remake crisis core I'm still a little foggy at times on the time <laughs> on the timeline okay. on the timeline of things because there's a lot of memories are twisted personalities are are combined conjoined uh, torn See, it apart. It all started it's... with Genesis. <laughs> he was the, making... he was the first right? Yeah, he was the first yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think I'm making a Bible joke there? But I'm not. <laughs> um. No. Yeah, so like they they give his character some more stuff to work with, so that was cool. Um, we talked on like his, yeah, his that... motivations from Crisis Core are pretty straightforward. Yeah, his uh, so there are there are other character changes. We talked about you know Cloud being kind of deepened and uh, seeing a little bit more into you know his confusion, his insecurities through his interactions with these other characters. Um, other ones that kind of stick out are, uh, you know, Tifa's desire for revenge against Sin against Shinra. Can't even read my own notes. Uh, against Shinra is There's good uh, reason is complicated by her, you know, her reluctance to enact violence. You know, it's like it's she's given more. She's like kind of Jesse. yeah. She's the she's the she's the doubter of the group, and you know, it leads to some very interesting moments, and one that's my that's my probably standout moment of the game is between an interaction between her and Barrett. Um, and speaking of Barrett, like his changes, I think are some of the best, the best served. He still retains a lot of his personality and characterization from the original. Yeah, they, they, they still kept the Mr. T esque persona, <laughs> but they, yes. they gave him a lot more depth to his ideology than just. Just, yeah. Cause he, cause he's a bit of a, you know, a caricature and you know his 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 leadership role and his influence on the other party members 
is way more prominent than than it is in the original where it's largely kind of played as a joke they like so many times they're like when they're like the party has kind of really formed you know he's like well i'm the leader right and everyone's just like no it's cloud he's the main character you know it's 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 played as a joke in that in that time whereas he's truly you know the ideological core of of this group and is is train speech his train speech is good and the one that i'll bring i will bring up specifically later on the elevator is the, speech. is the elevator speech in chapter 16 um oh which so, you can entirely miss if you decide to take the stairs yeah i'd say definitely and it, instead the, of a uh, heartfelt uh emotion emotional speech by barrett it's you get out, out of his out of breath winded complaining <laughs> about taking 60 flights of stairs <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I wouldn't I would definitely recommend doing the elevator when you get the, the game actually stairs. slows you down too as you get farther up the stairs you you stop being able to run as quickly. No thank you. One really cool thing I saw is that the devs in in making the remake were specifically anti-shipping wars between Aerith <laughs> and Tifa. They're like, you know, we're going to make them both, you know, co-heroes like one is not more relevant than the other given more time so like yeah and they, they've talked about that as well in some recent media cloud's voice actor has been pretty uh anti-shipping yeah <laughs> but he, he also has Impossible. experience with the, the teen wolf shipping drama impossible to not and then there's also another change is the inclusion of the intermission dlc where yuffie comes to midgar and fights underground which underground was itself part of like a, wasn't that like an expansion for the original yeah. game? Cause I never, you know, I never came across underground in my playthrough of the original. The only, the only real final fantasy seven game media now that hasn't been modern modernified moderna. That's right. Uh, is dirge of Cerberus. That's the one that expands, uh, what will be Matthew Mercer's uh, Vincent oh, Valentine? Vincent, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if bridging the gap between Rebirth and the third one, we're going to get a Dirge of Cerberus reunion type remaster. Well, there might be a, there might be a deal. It might be the DLC for this one because it's you know kind of like you know Yuffie kind of served that role yeah. in the original. Um, all right, so I just have a few little data points here, and then I want to like kind of talk about the themes and like our top moments from the game. Um, so this is one of the fastest selling PS4 games, selling 3.5 million units within the first three days. Jeez. It has gone to sell. Which is really crazy to like contextualize again. Sorry to interrupt. That's no, fine. When you consider the fact that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet was 10 million units in its first weekend. <laughs> yeah, Jesus oh, Christ. It has sold over 7 million units as of September 2023. It uh, it averaged around high 80s to low 90s uh, in critic reviews. And fan reaction, I would say, was polarized. Yeah. Just like every time there's a new Final Fantasy game that comes out, the fans go, oh, no, they changed thing. I like old thing better. And then you look at them, wait, wait, you hated old thing when it came out. It's like, well... <laughs> Old thing is cool now because it it's better than new thing. Yeah, everything's better. It's just the forever cycle. 
it happened with Final Fantasy 16 where they were like, oh, Final Fantasy 15's combat was better. And it's like, you hated Final Fantasy <laughs> 15's combat. Hated it. It's hard to be a fan, okay? It is. I mean, uh, I, I understand as a habitual hater, like <laughs> as one of the player hater club members of the month, <laughs> like hating is easy. I get it. It's in our blood. Um, all right. So I now want to like to turn to a discussion of the game's themes. And you could probably boil it down to three major themes. We've already talked about one. So there's destroying like, the planet for energy is good. Um, <laughs> be, being wealthy enough to live on the upper plate is better. <laughs> and we should all strive to work for the company. Should all be company men. Shinra allows you to work, uh, live on the upper plate. So Shinra has your best interest at heart. Yeah, yeah. So it's economic inequality. So do do you condemn Shinra? Oh, for sure, condemn Shinra. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So the themes are economic inequality, as we've already kind of discussed. You know, corporate monopoly and environmentalism. So yeah, we've talked about economic inequality, and I think this is one of the ones that has been strengthened the most from the remake the this ability to see the differences in you know put the slums in their appropriate context to see how life is different um in the upper and lower plates you know like kind of you know modernized you know city living to yeah you know absolute squalor and shanty towns down below you see the thing though that they did um and I mean, not that it like romanticizes it in any way, shape or form, but like the people in the slums were still happy. Like you, you still found people like living their life and trying to have, you know, their, their there family were, and work there were pockets hope. of, there were, yeah, pockets of hope there. Of community um, would be the better term. Yeah. Like those, like the, the schools near Aerith, um, that she like, you know, was, was a part of that you, you get to later on um you're you are interacting with that bit of the community yeah there's maybe the cd bit of the of yeah of of, of yeah wall, wall is, do they call it walmart is it walmart, no oh, it's wall market yeah, yeah walmart, walmart. yeah yeah, yeah. So i know it's wall something but yeah, <laughs> yeah let's go oh, he, he called it walmart and i let it slide because like yeah no yeah. wrong yeah it's a bit <laughs> it does um but uh like if the Waltons had their way, they would absolutely have a Walmart that functioned as its own Las Vegas. It's own little, fief, <laughs> yeah. its own little fiefdom where they don't pay taxes. Um, the uh, but like even even in there, like the the gym that you go to, seeing all the buff yeah. ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, very wholesome. And doing doing the squat fucking mini game, which is present in the original as well. I was absolutely flabbergasted when I saw that in the original. Oh yeah, it's in Crisis Core too. I mean, well, yeah. When is Zach not doing squats? Because Zach uh, is a himbo, and he brings that energy. He absolutely is. He's our beautiful. He's our beautiful dumb uh, boy. We love him. If if Cloud is our autistic and semi unaware that people love him type, mm-hmm. Zach is the exact opposite. Where his himbo energy just makes everyone want to fuck him, mm-hmm. and, he, and he knows it. Uh. Okay, so yeah, so then the, you know, the anti-corporate ideology is, you know, quite clear. You know, Shinra is evil. Even in the upper city, how fucking dark it is. Mm -hmm. 
you know, there's basically no fucking sunlight. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's very bleak. And that ties into the environmentalism of it as well. It's because they're leaching the Mako from the from the, the you know, the world around them. That is just this like decayed dead sector where it's like that one patch of Aerith's flowers in the church are like the only growing things in Midgar. I'd like to point out a continuity error where Aerith is selling her flowers. I don't see the three carts I made her with Zach. Um, where, where'd the flower carts go, Aerith? You, you lose Zach for a couple years and you throw away the flower carts. She pawned them. Yeah. I think, I think another thing that Matt was speaking to a little bit is that comparing the community that you do feel in the slums to this, what is effectively pretty empty areas when you're in the upper, uh, what's it called? Upper tier, the pl- just the plate, upper plate. The, yeah. The yeah, upper yeah. plates. Um, I mean, when we're in the upper plate, it's nighttime and everyone's in their suburban home with the doors locked, um, curtains drawn, watching TV. Yeah, exactly. At night down in the slums, people are out uh, experiencing community together and beautiful. Um, yeah. Uh, so what are our thoughts on Shinra, on the Shinra Electric Corporation? Who is the best villain of the group? Because it's a it's a it's a ro- it's a rogues gallery. So up in there. I I love Heidegger's vibes. I gotta I gotta say the name. He's he's got he's got my heart. The president's close, but uh I don't remember the lady scientist. Um, her name. She's oh, it's like, probably it's the on, most. It's on the tip of my tongue. She's, yeah. but she's the most cartoonish of them all. She, she's the most comically evil, <laughs> but for me, Hojo is the most like diabolically evil. Yeah. Um. And like, yeah, I don't know. Especially Heid- given context with Crisis Core and Heidegger is probably my favorite. Um. He's. Uh, I, I made this point. I think on somebody's stream a while back probably one of Andrews that like it's a change they made from him. He seems more competent in the mm-hmm. remake and more threatening than he is yeah. in the, he's pretty much a, you know, he's pretty much just, you know, a stooge in the, in the original. And I think just, yeah, all of them are largely, you know, more menacing and tr- you know, they've, they've turned the villainy up a notch in uh in the remake um scarlet that's her name i knew it was a color yeah. because she's yeah. wearing a scarlet dress yes um i knew it was a color but i'm like no, she's no, a, that's not who were i'd let her use me <laughs> as a footstool yeah oh yeah yeah me too absolutely <laughs> she can absolutely step all over me um yeah like it's it's uh pro- the you know the evils of shinra are probably its most ham-fisted theme and that's you know kind of always been the case that's no different than the original they they really went with the shotgun evil approach where if you do everything evil they can't uh can't hold you accountable for any of them (laughs) like you do see there are some kind of good people in there but it that ties into a bit that again i don't i don't really want to i don't know when i want to actually break it out but it's one i keep referring to it's you know it's it's spoken directly to the to the player by barrett in that elevator speech yeah i 
I think it's ham-fisted, but I I like how direct they are about them just being so calculatedly purposefully evil. Like I yeah. think I think yeah, it just don't make them have like a redeemable villain quality. Yeah, it, it, the campiness is very nice. I enjoy yeah. that. I enjoy that in my vil- in my villains. I either you either have to have you know you have Sephiroth who is potentially the more relatable yes. one. He because he is the true villain, right? He is the true antagonist. Villain probably isn't even the right word, and he needs to be relatable. You know, to have your true threat, you need to there need you need to humanize them in a certain way. You need to understand, disagree with their motivations, but you need to understand it. But then mm-hmm. to have these like secondary class of villains, it's fun for them to just be goofy and silly and you know over the top, cartoonishly evil. Yeah, because think, they don't have motivations at that. Do you point think when Hojo money. wakes up every morning it's just, when he it's puts a, those goggles on, he's like Showtime, baby? Time he's to... maybe he's maybe the one that's different. He's still kind of cartoonishly evil, but in a truly sinister way. But the other ones, yeah, it's like they don't have personalities because it's been leached from them by you know corporate greed. You know, it's all about the pursuit of power and wealth accumulation, you know, and that's well, it's kind of like realistic. Airbuster, you know, uh, fucking yeah. fucking Jeff Bezos is a cartoonish man. Yeah. Elon yeah. Musk are their cartoonish figures. You know, and they don't have they are not they are not serious money. people. You know, and like that's where you even see that if with like the quote unquote good people that are, you know, Shinra employees in that like they are pure it's shown that they're motivated and like justify what shinra does by their ability to continue to have money and okay so you're you're bringing it up directly and it's impressive that you know that you're able to read that without having gotten this far in the text but they again are they they get explicit with it so I will read this bit out for you. This is, and we can, I guess, kind of move on, although we still have the theme of environmentalism to talk about. But um, this is one of my, this has been- that, probably, The environmentalism theme is probably the most easy and straightforward right, one. Right, but to, it's, it's my, this is my standout moment from the game. And it's in chapter 16, when you take the elevator, you overhear a Shinra employee. He's on the phone with his scared mother, who is, you know, worried about his safety, you know, th- because there's, you know, there's been, you know, false flag, another false flag attack that Shinra is is blaming on Avalanche. Um, and so people are, you know, all the regular, the normies are, are you know, worried that Avalanche is going to attack again. Um, so Tifa shows compassion and doubt, uh, lamenting how many, quote, normal people with family and friends work for Shinra. People just trying to support their loved ones as best they can. And then Barrett, in an uncharacteristically sober tone, replies, a good man who serves a great evil is not without sin. He must recognize and accept his complicity. He must open his eyes to the truth that his corporate masters are profiting from the planet's pain. Only then can he redeem himself. And it's just the, again, it makes that explicit. And it's, they handle that moment with such care and nuance that, because a lot of a lot of the times that they still fall into a problem with Barrett and it ties back into the environmentalism theme is a lot of his stuff still comes off and is still kind of played for laughs mm-hmm. um where it's this is you know very serious and this is like you know a reasonable doubt to have these are real people with real material needs that need to be met but 
it is the reality that, you know, corporatism, capitalism, whatever you want to call it, um, it flattens the possibility for human flourishing, that it makes us all complicit in the evil of exploitation, right? So it is not until we recognize that, that we are able to kind of embrace a revolutionary potential for something different. And it's just, it was one of the kind of crystallizing moments for me of why this game is so good. And just how Barrett became probably one of my favorite video game characters of all time for that one speech alone. For the rest of you guys, for what you've played, any other kind of standout moments for you in terms of its themes, its its messaging? I mean, I like we've been saying, they're pretty straightforward with it. I think, at least for us, having, you know, coming from the backgrounds that we do and the, you know, political mindset that we do, um, it's definitely right under your, you know, it's right in front of your nose, um, which I think is helpful to you know, hopefully have other normies realize that they are these Shinra employees. Um, right. Holding so, a mirror yeah, up I, to... I think it was well done. Yeah, holding a mirror up to them. It's like, yeah, this is fucking you, you moron. Yeah, you dingus. What about the, plate, mean, the plate coming down? I was going to say, the, the most impactful, and neither of them have gotten there, yeah, I, I was, I was, I'm about to get to what I think yeah. will probably be is basically what I will, I won't, we won't describe it in full, but I will just say that the the aftermath of the plate drop is probably one of the most emotional in game, and like obviously part of it was timing for me, like right right at the kickoff of a global pandemic, you know, to to listen to the the true sorrow and downfall of the people around Bill gates pandemic yeah it, it's definitely another standout moment for me and it's like i've i've mentioned it as well that like it's yes this turning point for cloud because of the personal relationships he's forged with the avalanche crew and to see them kind of perish in this thing it's then it you, was you for, also get to see some of the npcs that you did side quests yeah, for it, and stuff it like was true yeah it was truly for me to seeing these like these random unnamed npcs in the aftermath as you're exploring the 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 outskirts of the slums that you know still remain intact but like um it's this moment where you are it's not it's not said outright but you can infer that it's this person who is, has probably lost everyone and everything. Has probably lost their their all their friends, all their family, and then the person that's consoling them is probably a random stranger. That this is not somebody that they know, but it is still you know it's the only bit of human connection that they can manage. But this you're just walking by, and it's something that you could just totally miss. Um, just this random NPC just crying and breaking down to this stranger just saying i wish i didn't make it out and for me it was just this the true toll of of what happened there you know really kind of really sunk in and it's not like i was ever on the side of shinra or i never thought that they were you know i was always in it for you know i was never in doubt like them but uh it truly you know just kind of solidifies itself that like yeah like you know 
this is this is uh you know say a fight for freedom and uh and... i mean it's like it's one of those things that they do i mean we 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 were just saying in the like cartoonishly evil levels it's like yeah like there have been many horrible things that governments have done like the the philadelphia police bombing or whatever but like not nothing to the scale of what a plate drop would account like a mass to as a attack on your own civilians or citizens but like it's one bit that they don't that they don't address because you're they're focusing and i think correctly on the perspective of the the slum residents but they also fucking dropped the home of uh of an upper of an upper sector right and it's proof that like being part of the middle class and buying into the so-called dream you're not safe you're not safe you're yeah, just that, as precarious I'm, as the I'm rest sure, of us. I'm sure that Shinra put out a, a message that they found the avalanche headquarters under the plate and that the only <laughs> way to guarantee oh, God. Uh, eradication was a full plate drop. And, you know, may, maybe they like they pitched it that way to the people who just lost their entire, you know, sector of their, you know, neighborhood. Yeah. Well, like that, you're talking about, I think actually you, you sparked a, from memory of something recent which is they they the game does directly address that briefly and the shinra people essentially justify it with what matt just said they they essentially are like yes we will kill you know people that matter to us but it's worth the cost of you know what this will do Probably to problem. avalanche mm-hmm. um the other thing that I think is really well done that speaks to kind of Ben, what you were talking about with the perspective of the people of the slums is they characterize them as like, they present them all pretty much morally positively. And like, mm-hmm. it is this community it's, they are all, you know, there are redeem- they're redeemable people yeah. like the dog, like they, the shithead. Right. Right, and like the Don, deserve... there's some of the dudes who like hold you up in the beginning in that right. like little little uh, lot. Yeah, but I just I think that, but like messaging... there's always gonna be a couple shitheads for sure. But that messaging of like these are you know good people that that don't deserve to be treated the way they are being treated um, helps to kind of ring all of that home too. We also. I mean, we're we're talking extremely on emotional topics here, but we were talking about uh, things that hit home, and I don't think anyone here has brought up uh, the Honey Bee Inn. Or I was waiting to see if somebody yeah. else did because that's all. That is the uh, I have three three moments, and that is the third. Uh, so you guys have gotten that far, right? You guys have. I, uh... I watched it in cutscenes, but that was yeah. um, all really I'd seen of it. I didn't play any. Yeah, when you when you've got to when you have to bimbofy uh Cloud to get into yeah. the Don to rescue Tifa, um, you know, you end up only able to do that by I, I can only speak for myself here briefly, where um anyone who's fooled by Cloud in a dress. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you kidding me? He's beautiful. I mean, yeah, he is. He's gorgeous. Yes, and he's got the shoulders of a <laughs> of a <laughs> linebacker. <laughs> linebacker. Yeah. yeah. Some some people do. Yeah. I'm not saying they don't. Just, I'm just he saying, was a like, swimmer. He was a swimmer in yeah. his youth. <laughs> he was doing the butterfly. Built like a fucking Dorito. <laughs> Got traps for days. Um, 
but yeah that that uh, that final bit when he gets the makeover from andrea rodea the the head of the the honeybee inn and you know it's something that could have easily kind of tilted into transphobia and mm. trans panic i mean even in the original game it was more of a just like a throwaway make fun of prostitution oh, thing more than um, not fully because there was a, like i remember you had said that earlier but as i played through it they actually handle it decently in the in the original the guy who ends up making the dress for cloud is like does not think anything of it and is like oh wow i think I'm, i may have tapped into a new market and you know this is something that like you know i want to explore and do more of so i thought it was handled pretty well there too but like yeah so Andrea, as they're like finishing their dance number and Cloud is, emerges, uh, you know, in his splendiferous glory. Um, oh, Aerith, is, fucking, Aerith mm-hmm. is loving it too. Oh, she, yeah. she, she's, she's smitten at that point. But he gives, Andrea gives this speech or he gives this, this, uh, it's not really a speech, but just uh, says to Cloud, true beauty is an expression of the heart, a thing without shame to which notions of gender don't apply. Don't ever be afraid, Cloud. And it's just like, you know, he's basically they're they're speaking to the player there, you know, yeah. don't ever be afraid to express who you are. And it's, you know, it was beautifully handled, beautifully done in a very touching moment. And I think uh yeah, handled up what could have been, you know, kind of thorny ground in a in a in a in a good way. It was definitely a, a top. I mean, it's a it's also a, a chapter that's touching on, you know, like sex trade and Right. Yeah. With the the Don basically just getting a new a new uh, a new bride every every week. Yeah. Sex work is real work, but human trafficking is not. Mm Hmm. I mean, hey, they they need to they need a job too. They need to feed their families. Yeah. Uh. All right. Um. Yeah. That's that's kind of all I had for for my notes. I I know we've probably gone more than long enough. Um. So I I do I have one question for you two that have finished it is with this being a trilogy how does the ending the conclusion of this portion feel does it feel complete enough or did you kind of feel disappointed that it ends with like okay what happens next no it's it's a uh, a sufficiently satisfying ending to the Midgar arc and what has changed going forward. Yeah, I mean, cool. you, you, it, and it ends with quite a climactic yeah, showdown. Very, yeah, it is both mechanically satisfying in terms of final fights. Um, it is um, in from is it is narratively satisfying. Regardless of your perspective, I think on um, if you'd play the original or not, because like not play, having not played the original at the time, this felt cool. It felt good. It felt it felt like this was a you know a turning point in the story. There's a this, feeling of hope at the end, and things are opening up. But it's like it's there's like you know looking out into what's to come felt good and not really in a cliffhanger way. But for those who had played the game, uh, and this is a tiny little bit of spoiling um for you two who haven't finished um they make it clear that things are not gonna go the way that you expected that we have seconds it's like we have we have put it down for real that things have changed that fate has been thwarted in some way that this is not the story that you're used to 
So for those in the know, it does end on a kind of cliffhanger of sorts. And you're just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? You know, so it's seconds. Yeah. Will he have enough time, folks? We'll find out. Uh, And I think that'll do it for us today at Campaign Comrades, folks. Seven Uh, seconds. It's the title of Cloud's autobiography and my sex tape. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thank you, boys, for making this a good episode. Uh, I'm glad that you're enjoying your time with the game. I have enjoyed joining your streams to just to watch and kind of relive it. Uh, if you want to see more of our streaming content, I've already plugged it once, but I'll plug it again. Follow us on twitch.tv slash campaign comrades on all the social medias at camp Compod or campaign comrades. Be sure to stay tuned for more and we will be excited to bring it to you. And I think that's all we've got so far. I, the rest of this month now is just like biding my time until, yep. until rebirth comes <laughs> out. So I'm playing Half-Life, I'm playing Oracle of Ages, maybe finish a little more Final Fantasy 3. I'm playing all the old short games I can, fitting in as many into the time frame. Yep. All right. But we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.